You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Joshua chapter 5. As soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Kebiath Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were... Uh, uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you acknowledging that we do have a blurry sight and at the same time recognizing that we want to see you because of the Holy Spirit that abides in us, that because of your grace and mercy who has saved us, you have made us decide, uh, desire you. This is why we come today asking, would you open our eyes to see you high and lifted up? Would you be magnified today? Would you be glorified today? through the exposition of the preaching. We put this time in your hands for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today would usually would be a, a torch Sunday, but for the month of June, we're taking a break. So guys, we're gonna stay here. Torch, torch guys are going, going to stay here. 
My name is Jordan Rivera, and it is a pleasure for me to be preaching today. As I mentioned last week, we are in the process of church planting a Spanish-speaking church here in town, and part of my training here at Christ Church is bringing the Word of God for the next couple of weeks. And we are in the book of Joshua, and I'm enjoying a lot to study the book of Joshua. Pastor Nathan has mentioned that this is a very optimistic book, and I consider myself to be an optimistic dude. So I'm loving this book. I've been learning also um, how applicable the book of Joshua is for our lives, especially as God is asking me to step in faith in different seasons of my life, just trusting that he would do what he said that he would do. And uh, last week we finished uh, the chapter, we finished chapter four with the people of Israel crossing to the other side of the Jordan River. So I thought it might be a good idea to, to bring a picture and a map, the picture should be right there. Yeah, that is a picture of the Jordan River. A couple of weeks ago, we couldn't see it, but that's a picture of the Jordan River. You want to know that the Jordan River is a long river, so it looks different in, in the, as, as you go along in, in the river. Color is gonna change, width is gonna change, um, uh, also depth is gonna change depending on the season. But this uh, particular picture is very special for me because I had the privilege to take it from Google, uh, I, I, I didn't go to Israel, I'm sorry, I took it from Google and so credits to Google. And I also brought a, a map, we should, there you go, map right there. So if you follow the yellow line, uh, Shittim is the place where these people are coming, uh, the people of Israel are crossing the Jordan River right there and they're going to Jericho, if you can see, and just, um, just north of Jericho, you're gonna see Gilgal. There, Gilgal and Jericho, is, uh, they are pretty close. So we're in Gil Gilgal, next week we're gonna be in Jericho. And also, if you notice at north, if you see the city of Adam, that, that is where the, peop uh, where the waters stopped. So you see a good space of land that the people of Israel had to cross to the other side of the river. And actually, to give you an idea, the last census that we have reported in the scriptures uh, in Numbers 26 tell us that, that there were 600,000 males over 20 years old. 600,000 males over 20 years old. So maybe we have over a million, over two million uh, people in uh, the nation of Israel crossing to the other side of the river. But as you can tell, there's a good space of land so they could have passed over the river in one night, as, as the Bible says. So right now, again, we're in Gilgal, about to be in Jericho next week. And as you can see, they are very close. So we would think now that the people of Israel are getting ready for battle. And actually, that is the title of today's message, Getting Ready for Battle. And we're gonna see three events in this chapter that are gonna lead us to get ready for battle. We're gonna see circumcision from verses nine to, uh, one to nine. We're gonna see the Passover from verses 10 to 12. And then we're gonna see that Joshua meets the angel of the Lord from verses 13 to 15. And these are, again, um, events that are getting uh, Israel to face battle. And this is my, my aim today, that we may see that as Israel is getting ready for battle, it seems like being weak is the best strategy to face the battle. Being weak is the best strategy to face the battle. So let's dive in to our 
our chapter, our verses. We read in verse 1 of chapter 5, there's a, a description of the kings who are on the west side of the Jordan River. After they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan, their hearts melted and there were no longer spirit in them. And we had a similar language in chapter two. If you remember, Rahab said something very similar, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before the Israelites. That as soon as they heard that God dried up the waters of the Red Sea, their hearts melted. So we know that the enemies are already defeated. In chapter five, although they haven't fought the enemies, we see that they are already defeated. And this was kind of the purpose that we saw in chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can look in chapter 4, verse 24. The last verse says that God did all these so that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And now we're seeing that it is working. The, the peoples of the land know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and they are fearing. So in this chapter, we already see that the people, are, uh, that the enemies of Israel already uh, are already defeated. And this is kind of the language used in chapter one when God said that I have already given you the land. Yes, God says that he will give them the land, but he also says that he already gave them the land. Like already, but not yet. We've heard this before, and next week we're gonna touch more on already and not yet. So. With this description, again, just makes sense that Israel should be, get, should, should be getting ready for battle. I mean, if already your enemies have, are fearing you, you must fight them before they take courage and fight you first. So the next step should be battle. But um, if, if God is looking for an opportunity to build momentum, to have the people of Israel so excited and so ready for battle, this was it. I cannot think of a better strategy to pump up an army than to split a river in two and to make them cross to the other side. The people of Israel were ready to fight, but it seems now in this chapter that God does not want a strong army. He doesn't want a strong Israel, but rather it seems like he wants a weak Israel. How do we know that? Because in verse two, God asks Joshua to circumcise the sons of Israel. And in verse three, we see that Joshua does it. This just doesn't sound like a great idea if you're gonna face a battle. In fact, speaking of circumcision and battles, as we're thinking about these two things together, we should be reminded of Genesis 34. After a, a sad event, two sons of Jacob murdered a whole clan with their swords. And they were able to do this not because they were very strong, but because their enemies were very weak. The Hevites just were circumcised. And after three days of being circumcised, Simeon and Levi attacked them. And the Hevites were so weakened by being circumcised that they could not even defend themselves. So circumcision is not a great idea, especially if you're getting ready for a battle. But circumcision is also very important, and we know this from scriptures. Actually, this should remind us of Exodus chapter four, where it says that God sought to kill Moses, apparently because he didn't circumcise his son. God sought to kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his son. Circumcision is very important in the scriptures, and this is why they are doing it. 
Genesis 17 tells us that God made a covenant with Abraham, and the sign of the covenant was circumcision. This was a visual reminder for the male and also for his wife that the people of Israel were a nation. And they were a nation not because they were powerful and mighty. No, they were a nation because they were under God's covenant. God was protecting the people of of Israel. It was not that they were great, and that's why they were a nation. No, God made them a nation. And the sign of the covenant, circumcision, was a reminder of that. We read in, in Genesis 17, 8, that God says, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Verse 10 says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep it between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. Did you hear the close connection between circumcision and the promised land? Circumcision, promised land, the covenant with Abraham, they're all together. So it makes sense now that the people of Israel are being circumcised because they are getting ready to get possession of the land. Circumcision, very important for the people of Israel. God sought to kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his son. God made a covenant with Abraham. This is the sign. God told them to do it and keep it for generations for an eternal covenant. And yet we read in verse 4, that the people of Israel didn't keep the sign of the covenant. Can you believe that? They did not keep the importance of the sign of the covenant. As they were in the wilderness, they did not circumcise their sons. Verse six says, or verse five says, though all the people came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the, in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Six says, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us. The problem was not that the people of Israel did not circumcise their sons. Yes, that was a problem. But the problem was that they did not hear the voice of the Lord. The problem is that by not keeping the sign of the covenant, they were not trusting in the God of the covenant. That was the problem. The real problem was their hearts. The real problem is that they didn't trust that they were going to come into the promised land, and therefore, they are not keeping the sign of the covenant. So definitely this needs to change before the people of Israel come into the promised land. We read in verse 9 that the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Very interesting phrase. Commentators debate on what that means. It may mean that part of Egypt was still ingrained in Israel. And that part of Egypt is still in, in Israel needed to be rolled away through circumcision. What we know for sure, though, is as we read the story of Israel in the wilderness, we realize that although God brought Israel out of Egypt, Egypt was still in Israel. In the wilderness, Israel often reproached God. They told God that he has brought them to the desert to die, not to take him to the promised land. They were saying that God was a liar, they often tempted God. They even 
elected a new leader so that this new leader could bring them back to Egypt, to slavery. They were out of Egypt, but the ways of Egypt were still in the people of Israel. And this needed to be rolled away. What the people of Israel didn't understand is that, yes, the Lord had brought them to the desert to die. Yes, to die, to die to Egypt, to die to themselves, to die to disobedience, to die to sin. But because they didn't die to sin, sin killed them. That's what happened in the wilderness. God usually brings us, he usually brings us to the desert and he usually brings us pretty often in our lives. And when we are in hard circumstances, it feels like we're dying. Losing a job, having family drama around you or the unknown future, maybe your health, maybe you're physically, literally feeling that you are dying. Or, or even raising up kids, especially if you have more than two or three, that feels like dying. <laughs> After 6 p.m., you're, you're dead. <laughs> Yes, the Lord God has brought us to the desert to die. To die to ourselves, to die to our own desires, to die to our comfortableness, to die to the old ways of living, to die to trust in us, to die to our idols, to be weak, so that we may trust in Him, that in His strength we may be strong. But if we don't die to sin, Sin is going to kill us. Sin is not a kitty meowing at the door. Genesis 4, 7 says that sin is like a lion crouching at the door. You may think that sin is like a kitty and, and you pick it up and you fit him and it look, looks so cute. It, it feels good. Sin feels good, looks cute. It doesn't harm you. It is not that bad. It's not that scandalous. People don't know that you're sinning in this way, so it is not that bad. But you're blinded, you're not seen. This is not a kid, this is a lion. And you cannot feed a lion before you, you become his meal. It's gonna kill you, sin is going to kill you. Maybe the Lord has been bringing to your mind and to your heart sin that you haven't repented of. Today is the opportunity to repent before you die, before sin kills you, before sin blinds you, before your heart is hardened, before you, you don't longer see God as holy. You need to repent. Maybe today you need to repent before the Lord. And maybe today you need to confess your sin to, to someone. Maybe today you need to ask for forgiveness because you know you have sinned against someone. Dying to yourself, repenting, confessing, asking for forgiveness. This may be signs of weakness before the world, but not before the Lord. You will not be able to enjoy the fruits of the promised land if you live in disobedience. God has started with a new generation because obedience matters. Now, by keeping the sign of the covenant, the people of Israel 
was saying, yes, we trust also in the God of the covenant, not like the old generation. Do we trust in the God, in the God of the covenant? Would we take steps in obedience under his covenant? I know it feels like dying. I know you may look weak in front of the people. But this is how we face sanctification. Sanctification. We face sanctification by being strong in the strength of the Lord, not in our strength. This is how we face becoming like Christ. This is how we come to grow in Christ's likeness, not by being strong in front of the world, but by being weak and understanding that we need God for him to work in us. And this is what God is doing with the people of Israel through circumcision, bringing them to weakness. They, are not, they were not getting ready for battle through circumcision, although they were getting ready for battle through circumcision. So the people of Israel could trust in God more. So coming back to our narrative, we see now that the people of Israel have kept the sign of the covenant, and now we would think that they are ready for battle. But then we read in verse 10 that not really. That while the people of Israel, uh, this is verse 10 says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover. Again, we are encountered by another event that in human wisdom makes no sense. Why would they find enough time to be circumcised and then to eat a lamb with unleavened breath. Why is this so important? Especially in verse 10, if you read at the end, it says that they are on the plains of Jericho. They are right in front of Jericho, and then they find enough time and confidence to be circumcised and to eat the Passover. This makes no sense. Why are they doing this? Well, the Passover is the remembrance of the 10th plague where God punished Egypt by killing their firstborn son and by passing over the firstborn of Israel because of the blood of the spotless lamb. And the people of Israel is keeping, is keeping this reminder. We read in verse 10 that on the 14th day of the month, they keep it. And this is the same day when 40 years ago, they kept the Passover for the first time. And the author is trying to bring us, uh, bring, bring to our minds, not only that they ate from the Passover meal, but that they are now eating from the first fruits of the land. We read in verse 11, if you have your Bible, you can track with me. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. A new season for the people of Israel was starting. They were starting now in the promised land, in the fruitful land. And as they were walking in obedience, not like the old generation, they were getting to enjoy the fruits of the promised land. God was showing his faithfulness through manna, but now in the promised land, he's showing his faithfulness through the fruits of the land. It is hard to comprehend the extent in which practicing the signs of the covenant 
brought benefit to the people of Israel. It is hard to, compre- to comprehend the benefits of being weak before the battle. These signs seem so ordinary, and, and I, I know they are not all ordinary, but they look ordinary. I mean, just think with me, just what, cutting off a piece of flesh and eating lamb with unleavened bread, how is that preparing the people of Israel to face battle? How is that so strategic right before they face Jericho? They look so ordinary, ordinary things that may seem that they don't make a huge impact. And to be honest, sometimes I think that way of my life. Sometimes humanly speaking, I think, how does an old book can actually help me in my struggles? How does, what is so strategic about singing songs on Sunday and gathering with my brothers? How does eating a piece of bread and having and drinking a small cup of wine will help me in my distress? How does praying really make a difference in my life? How does praying actually make a change in my reality today? Those things look so weak. They, they, they look so ordinary. Sometimes I'm looking for something else, something more extraordinary. And I've been in moments where I think that watching a movie is going to give me more rest than praying. Moments where I've felt that spending time with God is so much hard work that what I really need is something that will really, really bring me peace, like scrolling on Instagram or TikTok or something that will really bring some peace to my life. Sometimes speaking about the gospel is not in my appetite. What I want to talk is about productivity. That is going to help me. If I know five tips to be more efficient, that is going to help in my stress. Uh, Trusting God is not quite working. There are times where I think that a couple more hours of, of sleep are going to give me the strength that I need to face my day. Times where I forget what is the battle. Times where I forget that Jesus is leading me to fight. But not to fight for my comfort, but to fight for my sanctification. To fight so that I may be more like him. And that battle has been won. Holiness is already ours. And we can be more like him because he has conquered over sin and death. Joshua meets the angel of the Lord, and we read in verse 13, and when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his strong sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or or for our enemies? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Are you for us or for adversaries? The angel of the Lord says, No. In other translations, he says, Neither. 
I'm not for you. I'm not for your adversaries. A commentator says, God does not choose sides. He has already chosen a side. He is for himself. He chose to be for himself and for, and for his glory. This encounter that Joshua has shows us that really Joshua is not the commander of the Lord's army. He's not leading any battle because there is a greater battle that he cannot lead, a greater battle that is happening that he cannot lead. This is why God is asking the people of Israel to be circumcised. This is why he's asking them to keep the Passover meal because there's something greater than what they can see because these are ways in which the people of Israel can trust God. The battle was not theirs. The victory was not theirs because the story was not theirs. The story is the story of God where he is leading his people to do his will. His land, his people, his glory, his rulership. This is why Joshua is not leading any army. Sometimes we think that we are the commanders of our lives. Sometimes we think that we are leading our battles and we're leading our future. And we lose sight of who really is leading our lives. Is he for us? Is he for our enemies? Neither. He's for himself, he is for his glory. The real question is, are we? Are we for himself? Are we for his glory? Does, do, do you see God being part of your story or do you see yourself being part of his story? There's a huge difference. Are you inviting God to your life so that he can be part of your life? Or is God your life? Is he a part of your life or your life? Did you invite God so that you can lead and that he may bless you? Or is he inviting you to his plans and his purposes for his glory? Depending on the answer comes the strategy to face the battles. Because if there are my battles, then my ways. But if, he's, if, if it is his battles, then I should submit to his ways. Worldly strategies lead us to find encouragement in us, in our abilities, in our training, in our capacity, in our experience, in our talent. But if we are not the main characters of our lives, then we should not be trusting in ourselves. We should be trusting in God. It is interesting that God has lead us to have ordinary means, ordinary means of grace in which we can find strength to face the battles. As the people of Israel, he gave them signs to keep the old covenant, and he has given us signs to keep the new covenant, ordinary means. He has decided to meet us in particular ways through ordinary means like his word. The Bible doesn't look very extraordinary. Whoever that can read can read the Bible, very ordinary. And he has promised that through that ordinary mean, he is going to meet us. First Peter 2.2 says that we grow up as we are nurtured by the word of God something extraordinary 
that we experience through an ordinary means. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, ordinary means. Signs of the new covenant, where we partake of Christ, where we partake of something extraordinary. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? More than wine and bread, we're partaking of Jesus Christ as we take the Lord's Supper. Ordinary means where God has promised to meet us. Prayer, a means in which we engage with God. Can you believe that? You can talk to God, to, to the God who had created the universe. You can talk to him through prayer. An ordinary means to meet an extraordinary God. In a broader category, the gathering of the saints, this gathering, very important, as we sit under the preaching of the word, as we submit to the authority of scriptures, and as we meet the Lord through Lord's Supper and baptism, and as we practice prayer. As Israel, through keeping the signs of the old covenant and the Passover, we are getting ready to face our future, as the people of Israel were getting, to, getting ready to face their future, we are getting ready to face our tomorrow as we are partaking through the ordinary means that God has gave us. As we're nurtured by the word, we get ready to face our life in the weakness of the ordinary. We find an extraordinary strength because we find God himself. What are we expecting before our battles? What are we expecting to live our lives in holiness? What are we expecting to become more like Christ? Something more extraordinary, like a voice from heaven, like an angel, like a dream? Wouldn't we trust that God has said that he is going to meet us through the ordinary means that he has said that he is going to meet us? Wouldn't we trust that we're going to encounter him? What are we expecting before our battles? What are we expecting to grow in Christ? Something less humbling? Something that will ask less faith? Something that will make us not look so weak? The commander of the Lord's army, the Lord's army, appeared to Joshua and he was holding a sword. I can imagine what came to Joshua's mind that he's looking at this warrior. But Joshua soon realized that this was more than just a commander of the Lord's army. So he goes down to his knees and he worships. And this angel receives it. It seems like he's more than just an angel. We're reminded of Revelations 19 when John goes down to his knees to worship an angel. And the angel says, no, 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 I am also a servant. Stand up, don't worship me. But this angel receives the glory, receives the worship. He is more than an angel. Maybe a theophany, a manifestation of God in human form, most likely a Christophany, a manifestation of Christ before his incarnation. And we, when we look at the cross, we find him again. We find the commander of the Lord's army 
fighting the battle of the Lord, not with a sword anymore, but with nails on his hands. In the appearance of weakness, he conquered over sin and death. In the appearance of weakness, he won our victory. This is the Christian framework. When we are weak, we conquer. And we are reminded by the signs of the new covenant, and we are reminded by the ordinary means that we are weak and that we need a strong Savior. That we are weak, but He is strong. So let us trust God that He has said that He would meet us through ordinary means because He will. Let us trust that He will nurture us through the Word. Let us be reminded when, when we rather watch a movie than read the Bible. Let us be reminded that God has said that he's going to meet us through scripture. Let us be reminded that he said that he's going to meet us through prayer. Let us be reminded that through ordinary means we find a, an extraordinary Savior. So come and meet him. Come and meet him in the gathering of the saints. Come and partake of Jesus through the bread and the cup. If you haven't been baptized, come and be baptized in the name of Christ. Come and delight in the word because it's sweeter than honey. Come and sing truths that encourage each other. Signs of weakness, but also signs of strength. Not our strength, but his strength. Ordinary means of grace that only by faith can lead us to an extraordinary savior. So come in faith, only by faith, not, not in faith of the means, not in, not in faith of what you see, but in faith of what you don't see. Come in faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in our commander and king. Put your faith in the one who has circumcised us. Put your faith in the Passover lamb, in the fruit of the lamb in the one who kept the covenant that we could have not kept. So come in weakness. And in him, you, you will be strengthened. The story of Joshua ends him bowing before God. Shall we bow our plans? Shall we bow our strategies? Shall we bow our lives? before him today. Maybe today you realize you don't know Jesus. Maybe you even have participated all of the signs of the new covenant. You've participated of the Lord's Supper. Maybe you've participated of baptism. But maybe those things have been void to you. And you didn't know why, but now you know why. It was because you were trusting in the means. You were not trusting in Jesus. Maybe because you were trusting in yourself that you were keeping the signs of the covenant, that you were keeping this and that because you, could have, because you were doing it. But today you're realizing it is not what you can do. It is not the means. It is the end. And the end is Jesus Christ. And if that is the case, if you have encountered today the commander of the Lord's army, would you bow? Would you bow to him? Would you give him your life? I'm going to be standing right here in just a couple of minutes, and I would love to lead you to Jesus. Let us be reminded 
that in weakness, in weakness, we can be ready for sanctification. In weakness, we can be ready for battle. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you in awe of just thinking that through ordinary means, that through the preaching of the word, through a broken vessel, that, that you would do something extraordinary in our lives. What a great story where we can be part of your story, where we can be part and be used for you, and yet where you receive all the glory. Would you move our hearts? Would you move our minds through the week to remember that there's no strength in us, that there's nothing that we can bring, that there's nothing that we can do, but everything that has done in Jesus Christ Would you lead us to be weak so that we may trust more and more in your strength? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.